you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. We finished Titus this morning. Woohoo! I wanted to share with you just, well, the, the, the title of this morning's message is Engage in Good Deeds Towards One Another. And you will see that from our text and, and just trying to think of some examples. Uh, I, I want to share with you a, an example of, of a way that good deeds from, from this local body of Calvary Bible had so greatly encouraged my wife and I. Twenty years ago, um, God gave me the call to go to seminary and to um, enter the ministry full time. My wife and I had been living in Burbank. We had rented a house for a number of years and, and were, by God's grace and blessing, able to to purchase the house that was next door to it. We had known the people for a long time. It was a bit of a fixer-upper and that kind of deal. And, and we got in before the market all went, you know, wacky crazy. And, um, and then God gives me the call to ministry. And, um, of course, with that would come the cost of seminary. And, frankly, because of my job, it, we never knew when we were going to have the next job or the the next amount of funds, and so we started thinking, how were we going to pay for this? And so we thought, well, we'd only had the house, I think, like a year, and we thought, well, we could, we could turn around and sell it, you know, and, and um, just, you know, maybe move a little further out somewhere and something that would be, you know, affordable to us at the time so that we could pay for seminary, and we started even looking around at other places and locations and we didn't kind of sense that the door was opening on on any of these places and it was getting a, a little concerning to us and it was about that time that Pastor Brock um, said come on come on by the office and and see me <clears throat> and I went in and sat down and he said well I have some uh, some really good news for you there's a a family uh, at the church here that has put up all of your money for seminary. That, that's exactly what happened. I sat there and the tears just came. I was blown away. I was blown away that a, a, a group of people, a, a, a body, would care and love so much somebody who wasn't, wasn't their blood relative or or anything like that. We were brothers and sisters in the Lord, and and God used that to just teach me huge things about the body of Christ and how it works. And we were immensely blessed by that and so greatly encouraged by that. Let's jump into our text. You'll you'll see how this all relates. Titus chapter 3, go ahead and if you're you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Titus chapter 3, excuse me, verses 12 to 15, the apostle Paul writes this to his brother in the faith, Titus, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. 
diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you, greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of God, friends. You may be seated. So far in our recent texts of Titus 3, we have seen how we as Christians need to be interacting with the world, the world around us, even engaging in good deeds so that unbelievers that we would come in contact with would, of course, see something different in us, and and it might just open them up to gospel opportunities from us to them. And here at the close of his letter, Paul gives some personal directions and comments and greetings, which was very traditional for Paul. We see that at the end of a lot of his letters. But when we consider the nature of, of what he says, we see something more. And with these last four verses, Paul switches gears really to encourage believers, those inside the church, to also engage in good deeds for the benefit of those inside the church. The the sweet fellowship of the saints is what's on display here through Paul's final words to his ministry partner Titus there on the island of Crete. In fact, every mentioning of these specific people in this short text and their situations really are demonstrations of good deeds to meet pressing needs that Paul talks about there in verse 14. And we also call these good deeds amongst believers the one another's, the one another's, things like Love one another, be at peace with one another, be devoted to one another, bear the burdens, be of the same mind and care for one another, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving of one another. Comfort, encourage, pray for one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds and fellowship with one another just to name a few. And again, while Paul's focus has been outside the church, now he turns it inward. And the first aspect of our good deeds towards one another, we see in verse 12, that Christians must fellowship with one another. It's important. He says in verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, Paul's pretty straightforward here. If you remember from our our very first message from Titus, we learned that after leaving Crete, Paul went north to Macedonia, which is uh, today central and northern Greece. Paul had decided to winter in this city called Nicopolis, which is on the western coast of central Greece. This would also make sense then when we would find out from other places in Scripture that Titus would then be sent just a little further north to Dalmatia, up the western coast there. And at 
At this point, Paul had not yet decided if it would be Artemis or if it would be Tychicus who would replace Titus there on the island. We really know nothing about Artemis, as this is the only mentioning of him in the New Testament, except that he is, of course, a ministry partner of Paul and someone trusted by Paul to be sent to the Isle of Crete. Tychicus, we would presume, is most likely the same traveling companion that Paul mentions in Acts 20 and verse 4. And then according to Ephesians 6.21, he is a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. He is mentioned a few other times by Paul in the New Testament. But in any case, um, one of them, uh, then arriving uh, there in, in Crete, would arrive in Crete. And then Paul was strongly urging Titus at that point to leave and join him at Nicopolis for the winter. And then after that, Paul would again send Titus on to Dalmatia. Now, I, I would imagine, I wouldn't imagine for a minute that wintering in Nicopolis was just a vacation for Paul. That, you know, he's going to be hanging out at the resort and relaxing and and just, you know, kind of taking it easy. No doubt Paul did ministry wherever he went. That that was who he was and what he was about, and that was his mission from the Lord. Maybe it was a, a more comfortable place to spend the winter, but rest assured, he and Titus would be involved in ministry while they were there for those winter months. But beyond that, we we know that Titus, he was special to Paul. He was one of his disciples of whom he particularly loved, appreciated, and had special fellowship with. You might remember that in Titus chapter 1 verse 4, Paul refers to him as my true child in the common faith. And in the second letter to the Corinthians, he calls Titus his brother and his partner and fellow worker, a messenger of the church and a glory to Christ. In other words, he he greatly valued Titus as a ministry partner. He loved him very much and he desired to spend several mutually encouraging months with him. And this would make sense, too, just by way of the fact that ministry can be tough. It can be tough from a a pastor or elder's perspective. It can be tough from a congregational perspective. It can certainly be tough uh, in an evangelistic perspective. And we need each other, don't we? We need each other for that mutual encouragement. I remember one time when I was at our church up north, and in the first couple of years of, of ministry, there uh, arose a, a difficult situation with a, a man who was a part of the Masonic Lodge, and, and, and I decided that it was kind of time to talk with him and, and, and deal with that issue, and, um, and it kind of blew up in my face a bit. And um, and so right off the bat, after having a, an initial conversation with this uh, with this man, I turned to our at the time it was deacons, but they were really functioning more like elders. We hadn't hadn't yet taught on eldership and and had them as elders, but but these men, man, immediately had my back. 
not just did they have my back, but they encouraged me greatly. I was a young man, fairly new in that kind of ministry and this kind of blow up. And I was like, and they prayed for me and they encouraged me. And like I said, they said, we are with you. And indeed, they were very true to their word. And maybe ministry isn't just tough on, on a specific or given day, but, but even in, in the lives of some of the leaders, just life can be tough, as we all know, and then that can impact all of the other things that we do. Uh, most of you know that it's been kind of a difficult season for us with our youngest daughter this last year, and I can't tell you how many of you have encouraged me my wife and family, with your prayers and your concerns and just asking us, hey, how how are things going kind of thing. That has just meant so very much to us and has helped us through a difficult time. And I hope all of you have those same kinds of, of stories that you could share about your time even here at Calvary Bible Church. We need the fellowship of one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in a common faith. Now before we go any further, we, we should remind ourselves about what, what, what is true fellowship in the church and why is fellowship so important. The Greek word is koinonia. And it means to share in, as in things held in common and the participation in these things. In other words, partnership. In a biblical sense, koinonia specifically refers to fellowship with other believers, other Christians, which is based on our fellowship with Christ. Our fellowship with Jesus John tells us in 1 John 1 and verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And he's talking there about Jesus. What we have seen and heard from Christ Jesus, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, Christians are brought into a partnership with the Father and the Son because of the salvation that you and I have received. John will go on to say in verses 6 and 7, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, meaning God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so in the case of Christianity, fellowship specifically refers to participation and partnership with other Christians. And in order to have Christian fellowship, those participating must be believers, right? Um, Can a Christian have fellowship with a non-Christian? Not the kind of fellowship that would be defined by biblical koinonia. Now, now, uh, sure, uh, you know, a bowling team can have fellowship, or a service club can have fellowship, or friends at a party, people that participate in some kind of common activity. But the common activity being described here by John is the common activity of a Christian, a believer. And because of this, friends, 
Christian fellowship is more than just friendship. It goes deeper than friendship. You see, friendship can be based on many things, right? I mean, it can be based on a commonality of sports or hobbies or school or families. There's something that's of, of uh, common interest, mutual interests and friendships. But Christian fellowship goes deeper because, again, the commonality is faith in Christ. That is what ties us together, what binds us together. And, and frankly, that commonality is thick. I would say it is thicker than blood. We sometimes hold so tightly to family bonds because they're blood ties. But in Christ Jesus, we have been adopted by the maker and creator of the universe. And because of that, we are now adopted brothers and sisters in the Lord. You and I, we've all been united then as brothers or sisters in Christ. And furthermore, your brothers and sisters in Christ understand things then in ways that no unbeliever, frankly, could understand. Because, of course, there is that spiritual component of being a Christian. There's the fact that that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we understand that, that our struggles in the world are not against flesh and blood, meaning human beings. They're against the powers and the rulers and the world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness. In other words, we understand that it's Satan who schemes against us. And frankly, this is something that unbelievers just, just can't understand. They can't understand those things of the word of God that are spiritually appraised. And as believers, we are a community. Christians were never meant to be lone rangers. Psalm 133 and verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, I understand we have this great thing called live stream, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a blessing to have, and especially for those of you that might be out there that you physically can't get to church. But if you're sitting there in your jammies with your coffee and you could be at church, <laughs> come and join us. We want you to be here. We, we, we want the blessing of your, of your fellowship um, to be here with us if you are able. In Romans 12 and verse 5, it says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That's the community that Paul is talking about that we are all a part of. The human race was created in God's image, which includes fellowship then with others. And as we understand the triune God to have interpersonal relationships between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we too then, friends, are designed for interpersonal relationships. It's how God made us. In Genesis 2 and verse 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone, while the, the context is for how man and woman should complement each other, there's a broader component here that would include all human relationships. We were not meant to be alone, separated from, apart from, from other human beings. Even the helpmate that Eve is to be, 
that word there for helpmate often is used in the Old Testament to describe God's relationship with his people. But in the sense of God being a, a companion to the people, a companion to us. In their um, <clears throat> really good book uh, called Relationships, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp write this, quote, Helper does not refer to God as our co-worker or employee, but as our ultimate companion who brings things to the relationship that we could not bring ourselves. Just as human beings were created with a vertical need for God's companionship, they were also created for the horizontal companionship of other people, end quote. Again, nobody was created to be a hermit. Nobody was created to be a loner. Nobody was created to be cut off from society. Even Ebenezer Scrooge, of whom Dickens said he was secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster, went from I wish to be left alone to giving generously to charity. Scrooge goes to church at the end. He uh, walks around joyfully amongst the people. He dines with his nephew Fred and his wife and their friends. He, he takes Bob Cratchit's family under his wing and he becomes a second father to tiny Tim. And as Dickens wrote, he became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew. And there is, there is so much we could say on this topic of fellowship. For instance, we can understand it as caring for one another and honoring one another and praying for one another, even reproving one another. But one last consideration I'd like to share with you is the aspect of friendship. Friendship as fellowship or in the context of fellowship. Look at the way friendships have been vital to some of those folks that we read about in the pages of Scripture. Consider Ruth and Orpah, her sister-in-law, and Naomi, her mother-in-law. Three women, Naomi being a foreigner, of whom all three of their husbands died. How important in that moment do you think friendship was to them? Even, Even Naomi... And Ruth and Orpah being the foreigners, or Naomi being the foreigner in, in living in their land. Jonathan and David, classic, beautiful picture of friendship. They were such that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. And of course, Jonathan helped protect David. He helped protect him from his own father, King Saul. How about Mary's friendship with her relative, Elizabeth? Elizabeth offered solace for an out-of-wedlock pregnant Mary, uh, a reprieve from prying eyes and gossiping tongues, and no doubt she provided a listening ear. Think, too, of the women who were friends with Jesus, people like Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, of whom the Scripture says, 
had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. And the sweet friendship that they had in doing so. Or the special friendship even between Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. Where they, the three of them, would offer provision. And opening up their home to host gatherings when Jesus was in town. Paul writes in Romans 16, 3-4. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Who for my life risked their own necks. Friends would even risk their own necks, even die for one another. Or, or his special friendship with Onesiphorus, of whom he said, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, because Paul was in jail at the time. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Proverbs 18 and verse 24 reminds us, a man of Too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Or Proverbs 27 and verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That would refer to things like rebuke or constructive criticism, right? But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So it's good and it shows a a solid friendship when we can actually rebuke and give that kind of criticism to one another. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I would just ask you, friends, how can you cultivate friendships here at Calvary Bible Church. And some of you, many of you, already have that going. And there's some of you I know that when I pray and we close things up, man, you're in your car and you're on the road. I want to encourage you to stick around. Stick around a little bit. Meet somebody. You know, introduce yourself. Or I pray and hope that if If you're just standing there, somebody's going to come up to you and introduce themselves to you. We'll talk more about that before we uh, wrap things up this morning. But secondly, secondly, Christians must help and encourage one another. They must help and encourage one another. And we see this in verse 13 where Paul says, Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And like Artemis, this is the only uh, New Testament mentioning of Zenos, and the only thing we know about him is that he was a lawyer. But even then, it's unclear, was he an expert in the Jewish law, or or was he some kind of Roman civil uh, jurist? Um, We're not exactly sure. Apollos, though, is uh, surely the converted Alexandrian Jew, known from Acts 18 and 19 in 1 Corinthians. It would seem, then, that the pair are there with Titus and Crete and are getting ready to move on to their next post, wherever that would be. And in this case, Paul says that Titus should diligently help them, earnestly, promptly help them. And this word for help, it's a, it's a compound word comprising of the word before and to send, meaning to send Forward is the idea here, to send forward. In this case, to send forward on one's journey 
which sometimes meant to accompany that person or people as they were leaving their city or their residence their, where they lived, and it meant joining with them even for a little bit of their journey. Maybe you follow them out for the first mile, or maybe you spend the whole day with them or what have you for the purpose of, of encouraging them as they go. Uh, maybe kind of like when someone is, is going to go off and do like a, a long walk or a run or a bike ride for charity, and, and they're supporting come out to see them off and and they you know send them off and maybe there's a bunch that join them for the first mile or two or five or or whatever until finally they are off and running on their own in acts 21 and verse 5 luke records leaving the city of tyre with paul when luke writes this when our days there were ended we left and started on our journey While they all, the they is the disciples and the disciples' families there in Tyre, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. So they walked with them out of the city. He says, after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. When we have a a group that's taking off on a missions trip, or we have our kids that are getting ready to go to camp, what often happens is there will be a number of folks that gather here at the church to pray for them, encourage them, cheerlead them, and send them off. I don't know how many of us, you know, trail behind driving to LAX or whatever just to turn around and come back. Probably not, but, that, you know, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, and it's an encouragement. I remember taking off on my first um, short-term missions trip to Russia, and we had that happen. You know, I'm nervous and excited and all that, but man, we just stopped and everybody gathered together and prayed, and oh, what an encouragement it was. And here Paul wants Titus to help get them on their way but more particularly so that nothing is lacking for them, meaning make sure they have enough provision titus for their journey specifically money and this was a common thing for the sending church or ascending ministry to do to make sure they had what they would need to get going on their journey in acts 15 and verse 3 when the the church at antioch sent paul and barnabas on their way to jerusalem they gave them the necessary provision by way of money to start their journey on another occasion paul was helped by the church as he passed through macedonia on his way to judea Going back to the story of my first missions trip, we, we would raise support, as the missions trips here do, by sending out letters and asking for help. And what an encouragement it was to start receiving financial support from so many inside the church. Uh, furthermore, when we went um, on our trip to Russia, we were actually able to take them things that they needed that they maybe didn't have or things that were difficult to get by way of food and other household items. And then once we got there, we helped pay for things like dinners and, and whatnot and made sure that we weren't a burden to our hosts as well. So again, anything we can do to continue to support our missionaries here in terms of our short-term missionaries, that's a good and glorious thing, folks. How have we seen in the scriptures brothers and sisters help the Lord, or excuse me, help one another in the Lord? How have we seen that? Well, you might remember the help and encouragement that Aaron, Moses' brother, gave to him when Moses was complaining about not being eloquent of speech. God made Aaron the mouthpiece for the Lord before Pharaoh. There was also the encouragement that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, 
gave him by bringing uh, Moses' wife Zipporah and his two sons there to be with him. Nothing will encourage a man like having his family around him. Jethro also encouraged Moses and his wise counsel with his wise counsel and helping him to put other leaders in place to help bear the load that Moses had of leading um, this humongous amount of people, somewhere between a million, two million people. And as we said earlier, leadership is not easy. And your leaders, even here, need to be prayed for and encouraged. And wives and children, as far as you have a husband or a dad who is doing his best to lead his family and to work hard for you, pray for and encourage him. Husbands who have wives leading their children or other women do the same. Pray for and encourage them. Uh, earlier I mentioned Ruth and Naomi. How did they help and encourage one another? Well, Ruth stayed with Naomi so she wouldn't be alone as a widow, even returning to Bethlehem, even, even becoming um, a Jew and, and believing in, in her God, um, the, the God of truth. Ruth was the one who then went and gleaned in the fields to provide for them both. Naomi, presumably being an older woman who was not going to be able to work the way that Ruth could work. Hmm, maybe this is a good time to make sure we also remember our senior folks, our homebound folks, those that might be infirmed or going through health challenges. And this is where we've tried to include in our fellowship groups these folks to help make sure these folks don't slip and fall through the cracks and that we are able to maintain fellowship and friendships with those who can't be here physically speaking. And especially now at Christmas time, shouldn't that be on all of our hearts and minds to do? Even back to Naomi and And Ruth, Naomi then offered her wisdom as an older woman to Ruth as to how she might endear herself to Boaz, even become his wife. We saw similar wisdom from Mordecai to a younger Esther in their friendship, instructing her to keep her ethnicity unknown. The scripture also says every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. So he's he's actively caring for her. Chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us that Esther listened to and acted upon Mordecai's instruction. And whenever he was able, Mordecai was always there for Esther, giving her words of wisdom and encouragement, especially when it seemed like you know she might even waffle a bit under the pressure and, and not speak out when she needed to speak out. And so Mordecai said to Esther these words of encouragement, Do not imagine that you are in the king's place, the king's palace, Uh, can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Proverbs 25 and verse 11 We read, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances by a friend. Now, senior saints, senior saints, you have a lifetime of wisdom 
to impart to the younger generation. And I would encourage you to seek them out and share it with them. And younger generation saints, you need to hear godly wisdom from the older generation saints and put that into practice. And that means you need to seek them out, right? It's both. It's both. Friends, words of encouragement are an important way to help your brother or sister. The old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. So false, right? So untrue. Words do hurt. In Ephesians 4 and verse 29, Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So how many times did Paul say we can let unwholesome words out of our mouth? Once a year? Twice a year? None! Never! Zero! Zilch! No unwholesome words! And likewise, what is true is that help and healing and peace and grace and mercy and love can come by your words. As God said to Israel in Isaiah 41 and verse 13, For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. God's comforting words to his people Or Proverbs 15 and verse 1 that tells us a gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15, 4, a soothing tongue is the tree of life. Proverbs 12, 18, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12 and verse 25, but a good word makes a man's heart glad. So look around. Look around, friends, even this morning, and see who needs a little bit of help. See who needs a little bit of encouragement. See who might need some words of healing, help, comfort. And you know what? It might involve you getting out of your comfort zone a bit. It might actually mean that you have to start talking with people. And then you might have to start talking with people that you don't normally talk with, people that you're not used to talking with. This means we're going to lock the doors at the end of service. (laughs) Ushers, lock the door. I should have a little button here. Click. And everybody, now, fellowship, meet somebody before you go. Encourage somebody, help somebody, be kind to somebody, words of encouragement towards somebody, welcome somebody new or a face you haven't seen. You can't beeline it to the parking lot and get in your car and vamoose, vamanos, what have you. Get out of here. Get out of Dodge. We got to stick around. Thirdly, thirdly, Christians must learn to engage in good deeds with one another. We see this in verse 14. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Newer believers have to learn certain things, don't they? They have to be shown how to do them. 
We've talked a lot about engaging in good deeds, and we said especially outside the church. This one is for inside the church, and it has a qualifier. that we're to engage in good deeds inside the church to meet pressing needs. To meet pressing needs means that which is of necessity. And this can include physical needs, but this can also include spiritual needs as well. Friends, how can we help our own brothers and sisters with physical needs? And oftentimes this amounts to somebody who maybe has come up short that month financially when it's time to pay the bills. Maybe, maybe some help is needed with rent or mortgage or groceries. Maybe there were just some unexpected expenses that came up. An auto repair, a medical expense. Maybe, maybe somebody has lost their job. Or they're out of work. And maybe some kind of of tragedy has struck. And there's just some immediate and pressing needs. Now we can help folks in these kinds of situations as a congregation personally. Personally. And we can do it as a church. In other words, if you see your brother or sister in need. And you have the means to help them out. Be that financially. Or maybe physically or even just time wise go do have at it we'll let you out of the doors okay if you have to go meet a need there maybe a specific need hasn't been made known to you but you you understand that money is just tight for for this person or this family and and maybe somebody again has the ability to provide a little extra for maybe you have the the physical ability to take care of some kind of need around the house that needs to be done or taking care of, and again, you have the time. In Proverbs 3 and verse 27, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Oh, go and come back, and tomorrow I'll give it. When you have it with you. Meaning, do it right then and there. Give it to them, help them, whatever is the need. As a church then, as a church, we also have the ability to help with, with pressing needs. We have a benevolence fund so that when a need amongst our body comes to the attention of the elders or the deacons, then we can assess the need and we can provide the appropriate help. And I am so pleased to say that Calvary Bible Church has had a long history of helping its own. And these are situations and Things that you oftentimes don't even know about. You know, they end up being private matters with uh, certain congregants. But rest assured, I want you to know that behind the scenes, these things are happening. And know this too. You know, sometimes you might hear of a situation. And maybe it seems like the church isn't helping out. They're, They're not helping somebody and I would just caution you to say there's always two sides of every story. And, and sometimes in order to protect a person's anonymity, we don't talk about most of these situations. And in some cases, we may be helping, but someone doesn't even think that it's enough. Or maybe we are not helping, but again, there's some very good reasons behind it that you just aren't privy to. Again, I, just to return to my, the way that my wife and I were helped and good deeds were done to us to meet pressing needs and and when i shared with you um, about uh, my seminary experience then the next thing that i heard was 
oh yeah, and Calvary Bible Church is going to pay for all of your books. That was huge. That was huge. And then Calvary Bible Church offered me a part-time position as a junior high pastor. You guys couldn't see me, you know, leading junior high though, right? Sometimes I miss it, Walt. I would even come to church here to work and I'd go to my box and there'd be a card for Julie and I for groceries, you know? 20 years ago, just the most amazing things in the way that the body encouraged us, did good deeds, met pressing needs. And friends, we, we are so happy and content right now. So let's look around and, and, and think about who else in the body might you know, have some pressing needs uh, that, we can, that we can take part in or, or help out or again encourage. And another way to meet pressing needs is not just in the physical realm. It's in the spiritual realm. Maybe you see that someone just doesn't seem to be themselves that day or when you show up for church. You can tell that maybe somebody's kind of unusually emotional. Or maybe they're downright upset, angry, sad, hurt, just spent. Maybe someone has shared a a tragedy in their life with you and they are walking through a a difficult life situation and again instead of heading for the hills or coming up with some lame excuse why you have to go home and clean up the sock drawer just consider engaging with them seek out a conversation with them ask them questions and It could be that they just need a listening ear. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Or maybe they do need a little bit of advice or wise counsel, some godly wisdom from you. Maybe they just need someone to pray for them and with them. And if that's the case, oh, I encourage you, friends, Don't ever say, you know, I'll be sure and pray for you. One, unless you mean it and you're going to do it. I would encourage you, though, say right then and there, hey, can I just real quick pray for you? You don't have to make a big deal out of it. Just your own little huddle. Pray for them right then and there. You shouldn't be afraid to pray for somebody here at church, right? But man, you meet them at the supermarket and realize there's a need. You can stand there, shopping cart side by side and and say a quick prayer of encouragement. Seeking God's help for them, right? Yeah, don't put it off. Do it. Lastly, in verse 14, we're told to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Unfruitful being unproductive. Meaning when you are doing these things, you are producing fruit. Your life is productive and you are even earning heavenly rewards and people are being blessed. And when you aren't doing these things, then your life is producing bad or or shriveled up or no fruit. And guess what? You're losing rewards. You're losing. You say, what? Where's that? Show me that in the Bible. All right, turn to 1 Corinthians 3.11. 1 Corinthians 3.11, this passage teaches us about the, the judgment seat of Christ. It's a judgment seat for believers. It's not judgment of saved or unsaved, heaven or hell. It's a judgment seat for believers that will dictate your heavenly rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says this. 
For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Again, referring to believers because they have the foundation of Christ Jesus. This is very important to understand. Verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation of Christ Jesus, right, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. Let me put in parentheses here. Paul is talking about our works and deeds done as a Christian. He says in verse 14, uh, excuse me, continuing on in the middle of 13. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. In other words, friends, the fire comes. You have things like precious stones, right? Gold, silver, that stays What happens to wood, hay, and straw in a fire? Gone. Gone. This is the judgment seat of Christ that that Paul is talking about. A judgment that tests a Christian's works. Verse 14. If any man's work, which he has built on it, the on it is the foundation, right, of Jesus Christ, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, meaning loss of rewards in heaven. But he himself will be saved, right? Yet so as through fire. Salvation is not in question. He will be saved. But you're losing heavenly rewards when you are unproductive and unfruitful as a Christian. So in other words, good deeds done to meet pressing needs equals, survey says, ping, rewards. No good deeds for needs equals, ping, unfruitful and loss of rewards. It's as simple as that. Lastly, we have Christians must love one another. We see this back in verse 15. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Greetings are actually pretty important, aren't they? Because if you've ever been snubbed with a greeting or by a greeter, or you're ready to greet somebody and they just walk right past you and just don't even look at you, give you the time of day, anything, that that doesn't feel too good, does it? You're intentionally ignored. Doesn't feel good. And as Christians, we are commanded, commanded to love one another. And it's pleasing, isn't it? It's pleasing when somebody expresses love for us. Or even offers us a simple greeting in the Lord. Whether that's a hug, a handshake, a verbal greeting. We read in Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more as you you are looking ahead to when Christ returns... The final day, yes, we need to be 
gathering together. It's in this context of assembling together. And you say, well, yeah, that doesn't necessarily say Sunday morning at church. But isn't that the primary time that we gather? Yes, you should be assembling together and gathering throughout the week, right? In the Bible studies or fellowship groups or, or meeting uh, each other in homes and out for coffee and for a lunch or what have you. All of that is good and right and glorious, but our, the main way that we assemble together is here in church on Sunday morning for our worship service and our fellowship groups. And so we want to consider how we can stimulate, spur on one another to be able to do love and good deeds. And the best way to do that is by showing love and good deeds to each other. That spurs that person on to go, wow, I was really blessed. I was really blessed by all the love. I was really blessed by the good deeds. I was blessed by the Christmas card, whatever it was, right? And then you go, hey, maybe I should do that to somebody else. Uh, okay, I'm going to try to find somebody to, to share a little love with and do a good deed for, right? And it just keeps going. And it's reciprocal and just keeps going. Friends, this all starts, it all starts with the gospel. It all starts with the celebration of Christ come to earth as a baby to grow into a man, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live so that we could have a perfect sacrifice because that's what, what is needed, what was needed for us to have salvation. Were it not for that, then we would have nothing but death and hell and the lake of fire to look forward to. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, not suffer in hell, not suffer in the lake of fire, but have everlasting life in his eternal kingdom. So he sent his son to again pay that price on the cross, to go there in our place, And if we would believe on him, then we would have eternal life. If we would repent of our sins, turn away from our sin, turn to God, we would have eternal life. Believe in the gospel. You will be saved. Put your faith, your hope, your trust in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. You will be saved. And of course, he didn't stay on that cross, did he? That's why we don't like crucifixes. He's not on the cross. He's not on the cross. He went into the ground for three days, resurrected, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father in his heavenly realm. And he's coming back. He is coming back. And that will be our second advent, right? His second advent, excuse me, that we look forward to. But until then, may you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May you share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with others. Maybe there's somebody out here even today that today is the day of your salvation. That when I pray here in just a minute, you might pray along a prayer of repentance and belief. And secondly, secondly, what should we do with all this? Well, to, in order to accomplish these things that we, that, we, that we talked about, it means you have to start getting to know people. It means you start. You have to form relationships with people. And you might think, ah, but I am the loner and I'm, I'm the introvert and I'm shy. And like I said, hey, if you just stand there, all right, just stand there. I, I, I implore all of you others who aren't shy, you, go, you see a person standing there, you go up to them, okay? You welcome them, you grab them, you hug them, whatever, right? So all you that are too shy to do that, all I'm asking you to do is just stand there. 
You see somebody stand and you pass them by, ooh, another, another shame on you. But yes, it means getting out of our comfort zone for, for some of us. And, uh, and putting ourselves out there a little bit and, and, and making those acquaintances and those friendships. And can I also just challenge you this week, lastly, to, to try and accomplish each of these four points? Now, here's the cool thing. I've already, you've already done number one because here you are. You are fellowshipping with one another even as you're sitting there in the pew, right? Praise God. So number one, check that off the list. You got three more this week to try and do, right? Think about it. Look for a way to help or encourage someone. Look for a way that you might be able to engage in a good deed or to meet a pressing need towards someone and just simply show the love of Christ with someone. I challenge you to commit to doing that again, even this week leading up to Christmas. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you for these, just the great things that we can see and hear and know from even Paul's greeting and, and salutation. And, and, and yet there's those things beneath the surface, Father, that we need to pay attention to. We need to put into practice Help us all, Lord, to, to really seek diligently to apply these, these four truths even this week. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. and Merry Christmas. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.